1: It's Curious City, where we take
2: your questions
1: about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore, from WBEZ.
2: Every year, hundreds of thousands of people take to the streets of Chicago to celebrate our city's LGBTQ communities. It sounds something like this. I'm Jason Nargis. I'm a librarian with Chicago Collections and Northwestern's McCormick Library of Special Collections, and I recently helped Curious City answer a question about the origins of Boys Town, Chicago's gay district, and the epicenter of our annual Pride Parade. In reporting that story, we had some LGBTQ folks in the studio for a multi-generational discussion. We talked about Boys Town's history, the need for a place like it, and whether the neighborhood is inclusive enough. It was a fascinating dialogue but a lot of it never made it onto the airwaves. So, in the spirit of Pride Month, we decided to share more of it with you. We started the conversation with some introductions.
3: Yes, Chuck Renslow, a um, gay activist for a number of years. I can tell you about uh, Boys Town, going back to way before it was on Halstead Street, which I will do later on.
1: Oh, it looks like my turn. Yeah. Um... I'm Andy Meadows. I'm a local photographer and queer historian.
0: My name is Jay Wilson. I'm a non-binary trans person and a drag performer.
4: I'm Abhijit Rane. I'm a drag queen and a club promoter, and I've been living in Boytown for the past four years now. I'm also non-binary and trans, and Boytown has been like a creative playground for me to help discover who I am and how I can, like, contribute to queer culture.
2: Before we go any further, here's what we discovered in our first story about Boys Town. For most of Chicago's history, bars were some of the only safe spaces for gay people, the de facto community centers of gay enclaves all over the city. But that started to change with Boys Town. What began in the 70s as a strip of gay bars in East Lakeview became an institution, with thriving gay-owned business and a lot of gay residents. In the 90s, Mayor Richard M. Daley officially recognized Boystown Town as Chicago's gay village and put in rainbow pylons up and down Halstead Street. Those pylons helped cement Boystown's Town's identity as an LGBTQ neighborhood and anchored it in place. But since then, things have been changing. Here's Chuck Renslow.
3: Well, originally, the awful lot of gay people were living in Boys Town, Today, that's no longer true. I mean, Boys Town, if you excuse the expression, has gone the same way as Greektown has gone. Uh, you can go to Greektown and have a nice Greek restaurant and everything, but you're not going to find a Greek living there. There's still a lot of people, gay people, living in Boys Town. But from the demographics, they're moving out very fast. Just to like add to that, so I uh, moved to Chicago about um, five years ago,
4: and uh before i even got here when i was like just figuring out my queer identity and stuff and i wanted to research what it would be like moving to chicago from india i came across boystown then so like boystown has been like this word that's like kind of stuck with me before i even came to this country it was like i knew of it as like a place that i almost had to go to to try to like meet other queer people to be around other queer people And after I moved here, I've been also living in the neighborhood. And just in the past few years of living here, I've noticed so many changes of, like Chuck was mentioning, people have, there are very few queer people that live in the neighborhood anymore. They've been moving further and further away. It's it's starting to turn into a more... Commercialized place, a lot more space given to businesses rather than um, residential people. It's also become very—it's not very affordable anymore for younger queer what people did you to. say
3: though it's really turning into an entertainment district? Yeah. Rather than anything else. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, yeah, it's very much a night—a space that comes alive at night. Uh, yeah, and who like, uses yeah. it during the day is totally different from who uses it. Well, yeah, you at see,
0: night. you see moms mm-hmm. with strollers. You see, like very heterosexually normative families and they're primarily white families walking through the neighborhood during the day and and then there's still they're not there at night. They're not there at (laughs) night, no I think um, there's something about having a landmark. It's sort of a beacon that you can see even from the other side of the world now. I mean in the age of the internet and people our age in our early twenties and even younger than us can see that. It's so visible. It's so easy to find. Um, And I really craved that. Growing up, I grew up in Seattle in a suburb. And knowing that there was Capitol Hill, which is sort of the equivalent um, gayborhood, it was a destination. It was somewhere that I could go even before I could express a queer identity to anyone
4: outside of my own head. Yeah. um, Even before you can express your queerness to anyone else, just like knowing you can look a little weird or feel a little weird and walk down those three miles and, like, not have every eye looking at you is, like, really important. Mm -hmm. Um, That was actually, like, literally the first day that I came to Chicago. I just flew in off 24 hours of flying and I was really jet-lagged, but I was, I I felt so, like, alive. Just, like, I I couldn't sleep that night and I took the red line from, like, my dorm to Boys Town and I, I was underage. I couldn't go out anywhere, but it just felt so... Belonging to be there
1: Yeah I did the same thing Like even being a queer woman And it being called Boys Town And being pretty clearly not Built for me um, But I still I lived there for three years And felt the draw And um, I think through It was a gateway To finding spaces that are Actually for me and by My community
2: A lot of people feel the draw of Boys Town. But some think the neighborhood could do more to welcome everyone under the LGBTQ umbrella. Chicago's gay community, like many other communities, has struggled historically with racism, sexism, and transphobia, among other issues.
3: Why can't we have a couple lesbian bars there? We don't have them. Why can't we have a bar for bisexuals? And I think that's what the expansion should go to. Mm -hmm. And maybe it will, maybe it won't. It's hard to say.
1: I look at... Boys Town, and there's a lot that I feel very fondly about, particularly being someone who studies queer history. But I also, in a lot of ways, look at it like a child almost, like I'm excited for what it has the potential to become, because if it stops now, if it doesn't continue to expand to accommodate the full LGBT spectrum, then it cannot continue to masquerade as an LGBTQ neighborhood. And so... I am kind of just full of expectations. And it's disappointing when they're not met. But it's also encouraging when I see things moving in the right direction.
4: Uh, adding to like what everyone is saying, for it to be an LGBTQ-inclusive neighborhood, there need to be a lot of steps taken in the right direction. One of them definitely is making it a safe space for um, LGBTQ youth, people under the age of 21, people that don't have access to bars and nightlife.
0: And also there's ways in which it's very white, like it should be inclusive of people of all races. It should be a a space where people can come and their body won't be policed because they are black or because they are brown.
3: I I think that's changing very much. A long time ago when I opened up my bar, I hired a black bartender. You'd be surprised if people would told me, that's the end of the Gold Coast, there's no question about it. Well, it built my business up quite a bit. Now, I'm sure there's some prejudice yet. I mean, we are got prejudice in everything. But I, my observation, and this is purely my observation, black people and everything are much more accepted in the gay community than they are otherwise.
4: There is no overtly visible racism from, like, institutions or, like, owners and stuff in Boys Town, but that status quo is very much maintained in small ways through like stuff like dress codes, through the kind of music that's played there, through the way people touch and interact with you. It's still very much alive. There is still very much enough racial prejudice in that neighborhood. And I don't think it needs to be there. I think we're all educated enough and we're all like Living through enough discrimination to recognize, we need to reevaluate ourselves. We need to reevaluate the community because we're not perfect, and that's fine. We aren't there yet, but we can be there.
2: We heard from our panel that they're seeing more inclusive spaces all the time, but they're not traditional bars. They're pop-ups, parties, and events that move from place to place throughout the city.
4: I will list you a top ten. No, I will list you as many as many as I can as I can remember. Um, you can notice in like the past few years the rise of pop-up events and pop-up cultures and communities that like come up in different areas of the city. The most like inclusive party I can think of right now is Tropiteca. It's run by queer women of color. There's a lot of like more inclusive stuff coming up in Boys Town too. There's um, Femmes Room. There's also Fabitat, which is a party by Lucy Stool that happens over on the west side.
1: These I'm are not... also all monthly things. Like, yeah. These aren't established bars.
4: Yeah, these no. are all like monthly pop-ups.
0: Well, and also like Tropoteca and Fabitat oh, both lost their home bars this year. It's really tough to maintain safe spaces for queer people. But there is a sense that there's like a almost like a constellation of just like even just isolated places across Chicago.
1: With queer women's history, there's never been a lesbian neighborhood in Chicago that I know of or that I've experienced. And so that nomadic nature of queer women's spaces fits really neatly into the Internet age because you can tell people in a second where to be.
4: I agree with that. Like, I think the geographical location for a queer space or queer neighborhood has almost become like a very antiquated idea because it's getting more and more difficult to like actively maintain a queer space that benefits queer people without it like turning into also like something that's more commercial something that's more capitalistic
1: Mm -hmm. not gonna lie I do crave that yeah that space that like a place that I could go any night of the week and be amongst queer folk and specifically queer women um.
3: Well, the only places you could go and do that today would be bars. I don't know of anything like that today. I think we need it, but I, don't, I can't think of anything like that.
2: I want to switch gears real quick because I, I think it's, it's important and wonderful that we have this intergenerational conversation going on because I think there's often a divide in any, in any group. So I'm, I'm asking you, what are some things that you think the other generation should know about you and vice versa?
3: Come on, shoot those
1: questions. (laughs)
3: Yeah, ask questions.
1: Yeah, well, I would be interested in how you feel about the word queer, because it comes from a slur.
3: Okay. Being a gay activist since the 50s, it's a long time, I have a problem with the word queer. I really do. I can't pinpoint a definition. I mean, people have told me the definition and that, but I've listened most of my life, and that was a derogatory term. Now suddenly it's not. As far as intergenerational, what has surprised me, somebody today who is interested in an older man, it does not carry the stigma that it did before. And I'll be honest with you, I'm head on quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good when you consider I'm 87 years Uh old. (laughs) Not that I can do very much about it, but... (laughs) I think young people today are more like a sponge. They want to learn. And if it's an older person they're learning from, it does not bother them in the least.
0: I think some of that comes from a feeling of being disconnected from older generations. I, like I didn't know any older gay or queer people when I was young. and You do now. I do now, of course, <laughs> because I've, I've sought, I've sought them out. I'm not that old.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Everyone in the studio agreed. Having intergenerational conversations like this one is important for mentoring, for reflecting on a shared history, and for talking about where we go next. But sometimes, dialogue across generations can be challenging.
1: I actively seek older queer folk to have conversations with and to learn from. But I would say I don't necessarily think that that's often received as well-intentioned as I mean it to be because a lot of what I'm about has to do with changing things that the baby boomers and before them built like Boys Town. What we have today was built on walls enforced by binary and we have to totally restructure that. But I can't do that without knowing Boys Town's history and without Boys Town being as visible and existing as loudly as it does now. So in wanting and calling for change, there's an enormous amount of respect and gratitude there.
0: And it was also, I mean, so hard won by so many people, like so many gay men and so many trans people putting themselves on the front lines for us to be able to live freely. And I think the struggle is very different now. We are dealing with totally different problems. We're questioning, you know, are we going to assimilate into mainstream culture? Can we assimilate? What, what will we lose if we do that?
3: I think you're absolutely right, and I like your point. Uh, What's One thing you've got to remember, though, is people of my age and so forth who lived in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, at times it was very difficult. You were living in a society that looked at you with animosity, and there's absolutely no question about that. Mm-hmm. But that has changed. That's it's all changed. So we're
2: coming to the end of our of our studio time here. I I hate to cut this conversation off because it's fantastic. Um, there's still a lot of ignorance, and there's a lot of homophobia, and there's just a lot of people don't have access to sort of knowledge about queer folk and the LGBTQ community as much as they should have. So with that in mind, is there any sort of like parting thought or parting uh, comment you'd like to make?
0: I would say um, anyone um, just starting to learn about queer people. Don't get frustrated. Don't get stuck on the language. Don't get stuck on someone's attitude that you feel is too confrontational. You have to be willing to open yourself up to learning because it's always a learning process for anyone at any age. It's worth it because people deserve respect. Everyone in the world deserves a fundamental level of respect and it's worth it to find out what it takes to respect each individual where they
3: are. I think that everybody's got to be true to their own selves. Be what you are. and. What did Shakespeare say? To thine self be true and shall follow the day as the night. And I think that's very important for everybody.
4: Something that's very important to remember, something that's always been a part of queer culture, is that partying and protesting go hand in hand. And that's the only way the queer community grows and moves forward. So we have to remember to do both and commit to doing both with the fullest of our abilities.
1: I think it's very important that change be a constant. And even when we build something, we might be happy with it, and it's comfortable, and we like it. But it doesn't stop when I myself am happy and comfortable. It stops when my entire community is.
2: That was Andy Meadows, Abhijit Rane, Chuck Renslow, and Jay Wilson. And special thanks to listener Jack Floyd for his question about the origins of Boys Town. To hear more about the history of Boys Town and see our original story, go to wbez.org slash Reporting for this story came from me, Jason Nargis, and Stephen Jackson. Support for Curious City comes from the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism.
0: Next time on Curious City, a trip to downtown Chicago to look for the elusive river otter. Even
2: a, a track is a, is a great find. I remember seeing my first track. Some people think they've seen river otters right downtown. Every five minutes or so, I keep peeking over the edge to see if there's an otter there with my fingers and toes crossed.
0: But the Chicago River has a dirty history, so can otters really live there? That's next time on WBZ's Curious City.